So this led me to create uh, TechSpeak for Entrepreneurs, which is a program where I teach a 10-step process that I personally use to manage developers, um, help uh, entrepreneurs with communication to be able to get, uh, understand the all the tech speak and the jargon around uh, how to build a startup and, and, and learn the entire process so that they can de- gain their confidence back and be able to manage and lead with confidence and uh, get the team to be aligned on what needs to be done so that you can minimize mistakes so that you can spot the red flags sooner. It's unrealistic never to make mistakes, but the sooner you can catch them, the less money you're spending and the faster you can course correct. This is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's built several startups in the seven and eight figure companies, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help uh, startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today we've got another great guest on the podcast, and it's Nelly. And she told me your name before. You, am I, am I, I'm Yusupova. 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 All right. I, I, I'm, prob- I'm still going to go with Nelly Wine just because I'm still too, I'm still gonna, too afraid that I'm going to mess it up. But we have Nelly on and uh, Nelly, we're going to, today's an expert episode and we're going to talk about a little bit more about, um, about how to leverage technology in your businesses with a kind of a focus on how to do that, especially if you're not a non-techie person, meaning not every founder or co-founder of a business is always going to have the technical skills. And so you may not, you may be a shy or you may not otherwise know how to use the technology in your business, but you can leverage a lot of it, get a lot of mileage out of it. And also how to do that without having to pay software or software companies an exorbitant amount of money and spend too much for not a good deliverable. So, with that, welcome on to the podcast, Nelly. Thank you. Nice to be here. So I gave a bit of an introduction as to what we're going to talk about, but maybe just take a minute or two, introduce yourself to the audience, and let everybody know a little bit more about your background and what you, or how you got to where you're at today. Well, in college, I studied computer science, and while still in school, I joined a startup called Web Girls International, which is a community of women in technology who uh, had an amazing mission to get more women online and have them learn and leverage technology in their professional and business lives. And after graduating school, I went and worked for a large corporation. It was my dream to always be in a large corporation, large environment where there's a lot of resources seemingly. And uh, boy, did I find out that was not the case. So I went to work at this big financial firm and I was a programmer, but what I very quickly realized coming from a startup environment that uh, the culture is very different. There's a lot of bureaucracy and red tape. And um, I jumped at the opportunity when a position opened up at WebGirls and it was a CTO position. And I was given an opportunity of a lifetime to become a CTO very young in my career. Um, I learned a lot. It was... um, a learning experience not to just embrace technology and learn everything about tech, but also about business, which is not something that you get to get exposed to generally, and especially this early in your career. So I'm very, very thankful for that. And as my position in the industry grew, um, I started going to different conferences and trainings and met lots of entrepreneurs. And this is where 
I heard, started hearing the horror stories that uh, entrepreneurs were sharing uh, that when it came to managing developers, working on tech projects, and I'm talking about $60,000, $80,000, or even a startup who lost $100,000 of their seed funding to technology mistakes. Uh, so this led me to create uh, TechSpeak for Entrepreneurs, which is a program where I teach a 10-step process that I personally use to manage developers, um, help uh, entrepreneurs with communication to be able to get, uh, understand the, all the tech speak and the jargon around uh, how to build a startup and, and, and learn the entire process so that they can gain their confidence back and be able to manage and lead with confidence and uh, get the team to be aligned on what needs to be done so that you can minimize mistakes so that you can spot the red flags sooner. It's unrealistic never to make mistakes, but the sooner you can catch them, the less money you're spending and the faster you can course correct. So that's kind of where I am today. Um, and my mission is to help non-tech entrepreneurs minimize mistakes so that they can become more confident in their journey as entrepreneurs and do it in a more sustainable fashion. No, I, I think that's a, an admirable uh, mission to be on and, and, and a service to provide. So now diving into a bit of the, you know, the meat of the expert episode, um, you know, so you, you're talking about, you, you got a lot of companies and, you know, and I, and I can think of some of them that are, very technology heavy driven. You go to Silicon Valley, everything seems to be technology, but you get outside of that. And there's a lot of companies, almost to your point, you know, I think of uh, whether it's, uh, you know, people that did construction on our house at one point or a plumber or a, what I would call blue collar jobs or, you know, service industry. A lot of them, I, they don't implement technology. I don't know that it's always that they're against technology, but either they, to your point, they're non-techie. They don't know how to do it. They don't know how to leverage it. And so if you're looking at or industries that typically don't leverage a lot of technologies, how do you start out even identifying how to start to leverage technology, especially if you're a non-techie person, how do you even know where to begin? Sure. Well, there's two sides to this uh, and I'll, and I'll, I'll address both of them because I think, they're both very relevant. So number one, you have to understand for the current business that you're in, what are the tools that will help automate a lot of the things that you're doing manually? And there's so many different tools out there. And a lot of them are very inexpensive because of the software as a service model. You basically pay for what you use, right? Uh, so if you're a very small company and you use fewer resources, your cost to use those services are very low. Um, and if you're a larger company and as you grow and you have and make more money, you uh, pay a little bit more, but they allow you to save time. They, you don't have to pay technical expertise to maintain them. This is like in the early nineties where you had to install all of the software on your computer. Uh, and then you had to have a developer or a technical person manage all of those things in case things broke. That is no longer the case with software as a service. So it opens up a lot of possibilities for uh, business owners who are not necessarily in the technical space, save time and money and energy on doing things that technology can do very, very quickly and efficiently. And the other side of it, and I, so this is something that I talk about a lot with people who are traditionally non-technical spaces, is how can you actually build technology to solve a very specific problem? So I'll give you an example. 
there is a real estate person. This is somebody who uh, took my program and I was just blown away by this example because it's exactly the type of business person that you are talking about. Um, so this was a real estate professional, no technical background. There's no tech in real estate, uh, you know, in, the, in his job. But he was doing his work, had a very specific domain expertise to, um, to do real estate. And he saw an inefficiency every single day that could be solved with a software product. So he had a brother who took TechSpeak, uh, sorry, a cousin who took TechSpeak, and they worked together to create a little prototype. And then they took this prototype to his employer. And he was able to sell the idea. The employer became his first customer and they paid him to build the solution, which was a software product to solve that very specific issue that he saw. And only he could see it because he was in the day-to-day -day weeds of that problem, right? So if you're in construction, there are things that you're seeing every single day that are inefficient that, I mean, a lot of the people are still in spreadsheets, right? Think about that. With software, you can create a SaaS product or any kind of solution that will streamline that process. So don't just think of how can I use and leverage technology to become more efficient, but is there a product that I can build that can help other people in your industry? And this will instantly help you scale your company and also add an additional revenue source for you as well. So um, I would encourage on that and you hit on it. So let's say I'm in and you, you, you use a real estate. So we'll keep on that as a, as a, an, a, an example, but I'm in the real estate industry and I say, okay, I've got this inefficiency and I think I, you know, there's a better way to do this. And, you know, sometimes I always look at it as, is there a repetitive task that I'm having to do over and over again that you can automate? Or is there something that if you had a tool that is going to save you a bunch of time, those type of things on the technology side that you can implement. But let's say I identify it. I'm going to, I've got a, a new way that I think will save every, it'll cut everybody's time that they have to do on a task in half. So then you build do you build it for yourself internally or do you build it for the, you know, for the market or the industry in general, in the sense that, you know, there's kind of two different ways you could build a product. <laughs> Excuse me. One is you can say, Hey, this will just make my company more competitive. It'll make it better. We'll be better than the competition. And so we're going to build it just for us internally and we're not going to share it with anybody. Or almost to your point, you could say, hey, we're going to build this and then we're going to sell it. We're going to license it. We're going to make money off of it by other people using it because it's a pain point for everybody in the industry. So how do you make that balance between keeping it for ourselves so you can be more competitive versus letting everybody have it, making money off of it, but now you don't have that competitive advantage? So it, it actually is such a great question. It, I think the answer to that is going to be very specific to who you are. So if you found uh, a, some kind of secret sauce that will make you super human, super, a super company, not, I was going to say superhuman, but the company is not really human, right? But uh, think of the superhuman image attached to a startup. If that will make you um, an amazing business simply because you were able to automate this or find this insight and then do that a thousand times better, which makes you more efficient. Um, you know, then keep it. But if you find that the market for your solution is so giant that the pain point that you're solving is so like I, what I call a level 12 problem, the painkiller problem, right? Versus a vitamin. If you found something like that, this is your opportunity to then scale beyond 
even just people in your area, right? With global, the global economy, there are people all across the world who might need your solution. So if you run the math, it's simply going back to running the math. What's the opportunity cost of doing one way or, or another? How much money can you make if you keep it in-house? And how much money can you make if you potentially license it, right? Or did a SaaS model or whatever else that you can experiment and run the numbers and see what's, um, what's possible. That's, that's number one. And number two, what are you interested in doing? Some people are not, you know, are not interested in running a SaaS business, mm. but you know, and if you are, then that's awesome. That may be a better opportunity, but and you're also interested in it. So there is uh, the interest part of it is really important because some startups to get into a startup, it takes a lot of energy, like it takes a lot of effort. And if you're not in it emotionally, uh, if you're not passionate about it, the days when you're not going to have such a good day, you need to have your why. You need to understand why you're doing something to get you up and um, moving um, to get to that goal. So that's really important in my mind as well. Okay. No, I think that makes that makes perfect sense. And I always look at it as, you know, the other thing I think you balance is there's a difference between if it's a tool that will make, you know, make you a little more efficient, give you a little bit of competitive advantage, but it's going to take $500,000 to make, you have to weigh that against it too, right? Versus if, hey, yes, it'll take 500000 but out of the shoot, I know 100 companies will use it. They'll all pay me $1,000 a month and I can recoup that money within a year or two. Then it kind of balances that. So I think a lot of it is either you have to weigh into it is whether or not it's competitive advantage or you can sell it out in the marketplace is what is that value and how much either competitive advantage will give you internally or how much your other people likely willing to pay you for it and how much would it cost to recoup that. So with that, you take that and you said, okay, we've identified, you know, some inefficiency, something we could do better, something that's going to either give us that competitive advantage we want to keep to ourselves or we want to build something that we can then sell to everybody, do a SaaS or software as a service, a SaaS company, and you know, sell that out to everybody or license it or give them a subscription model or whatnot. You do that. And now how do you, especially the non-technical person, which is probably the scariest part, find those people to build it, right? Because I work with a lot of startups and small businesses. And the horror story is, hey, I went out to a software developer. I thought he was going to be good. He quoted me out at X number, we'll say 100,000. We got to 100,000 and we we're only a quarter of the way done. And he told me it's going to cost, you know, another 200,000 to get this done. And it's going to take three times as long as we thought. And it was a disaster. And, you know, either it died on the vine and it didn't go anywhere or we spent a whole bunch of money and still weren't happy. So how do you avoid that? Or how do you start to, especially if you don't, a non-technical person where you're not, you don't know even necessarily what the flags are or if they're doing a good job because you're going a lot on trust. How do you kind of tackle that? So number one, I would tell them to go take text speak. <laughs> That's exactly what I'll teach them to do. But in all seriousness, I think the, uh, the key to that is think of, this is the framework that I uh, teach in a text speak. The way that you think about it is how can you minimize the mistake? What's the shortest path to accomplish to what you want to do? So instead of thinking of your project as this gigantic, enormous thing, what is the minimal that, you, that I can build? Uh, and that goes through building the product to working with a specific person to uh, marketing a certain thing, right? That philosophy applies to everything that you're doing. So instead of building 
uh, 10 features of your product, maybe you, you figure out, right, what, when you're validating your idea, what's the number one thing that people want? And you build that first. Uh, when you're hiring, instead of uh, giving somebody the entire project, right, maybe you test them for two weeks, you give them a small piece of the project, and maybe you test three different teams at the same time because you're all you're giving them the same project, but it's so small, the amount of money you're paying them is not a lot. So you can actually test them in action. So there's well, a lot of let different- Let me push or dive into yeah. that just a little bit because yeah. I, I think that's insightful, but if I were you, and I always play devil advocate, call Absolutely. his attorney in me, but you know, I give them a small two week project. I don't know if they did a great job or did, you know, if it's a little tiny thing, I have, if I'm a non and I'm a technical person, so I try to remove myself out of that, I would have very little idea. So I always, and I use my wife, and not that my wife isn't a great person. I love her. She's a great person. She's not a technical person. She is a nurse. She loves doing the medical stuff. The people, she thinks what I do is boring, and I think what she would do is boring. But I always use my wife because she's not a not a technical person. And if she were to go out, she would hire someone, and she would say, "Here's a, you know." First of all, she wouldn't even know how to identify what that minimally viable product is, right? So right. let's say it was something that should only take two weeks, or it would only take one or two days. They say, oh, yeah, we'll do it in two or two weeks, and it will cost you $10,000. And then she gets it in two weeks, and sure enough, they did a good job in two weeks, and they right. charge her $10,000, and it should have been $1,000 in one day, and she has no way of doing it. So how do you – I think that that's a good point, but how do you still – pull back if you don't know what you what to pay for it or, or and I get go to you know go to tech speak but assuming that they haven't done that or they, they they haven't taken your course what are a few thoughts as to how you continue to dive down in on that so that's a great great question I'm glad you asked it so the reason why I say learn the tech speak right it's it's not you know when I, when I say tech speak it's not the course but the actual tech speak to mm -hmm. speak tech um, is so that you can understand the nuances, right? It's like going to a mechanic and not knowing anything about cars. You're in exactly the same situation, right? So whether when you're in business, you need to know a little bit about everything, not just tech, but finance and marketing, because you're going to get into this exact same situation for every single person that you're working with. So your goal as an entrepreneur, if you're not technical, you need to get enough of tech knowledge and enough of a process and an understanding of what's right and what's not right so that when someone is, when you're talking to somebody, you can actually spot the red flags. You will see if something is, sounds preposterous. And, and if, you, if you see that something is preposterous, let's say somebody's saying it's going to cost you $10,000, and you kind of, your gut feeling is saying, well, that's too much, then if you're not technical, I'm not saying you should be able to assess whether that situation is correct or not, but you then bring or an outsourced CTO that you have on an ongoing basis, just an advisor, right? You pay them for when you need their advice on. And you say, well, I have the situation. What do you think about it? But you're not, you're saving a lot of money doing that way because you're there catching the red flags and, and then bring on the experts that you should have around you anyway to then validate whether that is, that feeling that you have, that gut feeling that you have is accurate or not. So the key in knowing all of this is not so that you can do it all yourself, but then that gives you the power to make the right decisions at the right time when you 
you know, when you get exposed to information, you start to see things and you start to identify those red flags naturally. Just, just, you know, sometimes I hear a story, even before they finish the story, I already know all the red flags because I'm so experienced. I've heard so many different, I've been in so many different situations. They don't even have to finish telling me the story. I already know that, oh, they've already lost a thousand dollars here, $50,000 here. You know, it's, it's, it's part of being in it and getting the experience. And so you just have to know whether it's tech or finance or marketing or sales, you have to know enough to be able to have those intelligent conversations. So, and I've got two questions. And I'll pepper you with a whole bunch of them, and we'll run out of time before I ever run out of questions. But one one question, you know, you've got TechSpeak, which you know, TechSpeak for entrepreneurs. I think it's TechSpeakForEntrepreneurs.com, which is a great resource. Other resources, aside from going to college and getting a four-year undergraduate in computer science or electrical engineering or something like that, where is what's a good? Re, what are some good resources for people to at least? get a familiarity or, or kind of, as you said, understand a little bit of the tech speak so they can kind of get that gut feeling or those flags without having to get a four-year degree. So uh, all of the information is accessible online. So that's the beauty of the internet is that you can literally Google any question that you have and you can find 20,000 articles um, on the same topic, right? And then your job is to not just read that one and say, oh, this is correct, but you need to, if you're doing the research, you have to read 20 articles and then kind of put together the information and see what makes sense to you. And the advantage of doing something like TechSpeak is that you can get from point A to point B a lot faster because somebody's already done that for you. Mm-hmm. But if you don't want to do that, if you actually have the the uh, luxury of time, right? Because there's different, some people have more time, some people have more money. Mm. Have the luxury of time. You can actually take the time, go to the resource, Google, and start to do your own research. It's, it's uh, what I don't like is that people play a victim, especially when it comes to tech. They automatically say, I'm not technical. I have my technical person that I'm gonna trust completely. And that's a recipe for disaster. Do not ever do that. So educate yourself, understand that you have the power to do whatever it is that is necessary and that you can learn it. Uh, it it'll take time uh, and you can take courses and classes to get yourself from point A to point B faster, but it's absolutely possible to do it on your own. It's just going to take longer. No, I think that that's, that's a good point. So now I'm going to flip the, flip the question on the opposite end, and, and I'm going to defend the, the programmers, which is a sense of, so I have, and I work with, I'm a technical person, so I'm the business I work with. I work with programmers on a frequent basis, and they always are doing just the opposite. This is unfair. We get people that are coming in that aren't technical people, and what it starts, it stands out as a very small project that, okay, we quote that out and it's manageable, but then the non-technical person says, well, we want to add this feature and then we want to add this feature and then we wanted to do this and we want to do that. And they add about 20 more features on there that weren't originally contemplated. And then they get frustrated when it it takes more time, takes more money, you know, doesn't come out as it should, or the programmer saying that that's not technologically possible or it'd be so impossible, you know, take so much time and money, it's not worthwhile. And then they, they walk away frustrated saying, well, this is really what I had in my mind and yet they never conveyed it. So how do you avoid that or that, that scenario? Okay, so there's something called agile project management or agile, the concept of agile. So uh, I'll compare waterfall versus agile. In the waterfall mentality, which is what most people are familiar with, 
you kind of plan out this big project ahead of time and you, you know, you can't make any changes. Even if your ideas change, your environment changes, uh, you find a new feature that you want to add to the original uh, proposal, right? Uh, in a waterfall environment, it's not possible to add anything new. So whatever you agreed on, you have to execute that. Uh, and it's so unrealistic in a startup environment because so many things change. You want to be able to add, if you want to, if, let's say tomorrow you talk to 10 customers and they're telling you something completely different than you, you gain this insight and you already know that what you've agreed to build or should build is, shouldn't even be built, right? Mm -hmm. So in an agile environment, you, you condense all of the planning to only two weeks. So basically what you're doing, both you and a developer are committing to only building those two weeks. So you plan out for two weeks, those are called sprints, and you plan out for two weeks and in everything outside of those two weeks, so you have a roadmap, right? You know what's gonna be in week two and three and four and five and six, but at any point in time, anything that's not currently being worked on can be switched, can be changed. Uh, and so you can switch what you've already planned, right? You can put uh, sprint number seven into uh, number two slot because that all of a sudden became more important right? Um, or you can add something brand new. And so this gives the, the flexibility that's necessary for the entrepreneur and also the expectation of what's required can be managed both by the developer and the entrepreneur. So it's, it's just a mindset that shift that needs to happen. And then you, you, you pay instead of per project, you pay per sprint. And so nobody gets frustrated now to get things done very quickly no i, I like that and so then you're, you're almost saying we're gonna if i were to reflect that or put it in non-tech speak you know sprints you know agile and sprints and whatnot but say basically you're going to take a big project and you can break it up into little chunks and then you're going to basically with each little chunk you'll overall all those little chunks add up to your whole our whole project you're gonna say we're gonna take each little chunk we're going to pay for that on a you know each on an ongoing basis for each one of those separately and if you miss that or if it's not i paid you for that chunk you're doing that chunk and once you get done we'll move on to the next one and so you're kind of getting the building blocks and if at any point you want to stop or you want to add a building block or that you add that in and then you're paying for that building block is that about right absolutely and talking about catching mistakes or if let's say developers disappear, right? I just heard, I was taught, in fact, working with two entrepreneurs rescuing their situations, their developers ghosted them, right? Disappeared. And so they were not set up in this environment. So every two weeks, they didn't get the deliverables. All the stuff is on the developer server somewhere. So now we have to go hunt for that information. When you're doing this in agile format formats, you're also, number one, consistently testing the team and how well they're performing. So if you are working with them for six weeks and then all of a sudden their, their uh, throughput dropped, mm. you, can, you can change the team, right? You can already see that way ahead of the time. Um, and, and if they're making more mistakes or if they're not being responsive consistently, you know, you can catch those mistakes a lot earlier. You can see that. So basically every two weeks you're resetting and you are reevaluating what's going on. Um, and, and you get working code every two weeks. So you're not, um, if they disappear and they don't finish the project, you are at least have some working parts of the project on your own server 
and maybe even live if it's if it's complete enough that uh, customers can get access to it. Okay, no, I think that makes sense. Well, we are unfortunately, and I, as you can tell, I always have a whole bunch or a whole bunch more questions and time that we ever have time to go over. But we're getting towards the end of the podcast. But I'll give you a chance if you give the, what would be the one tip that you'd give to non-technical people as they're trying to, to tackle something that's technical or trying to get something software project, get a SaaS project, get a, you know, something developed that's on the technical side, what would be your one tip for them? So the number one is to become tech literate. You have to understand and speak the language of tech people because really everything will stem from there. It will allow you to have the conversations necessary to be able to make sure everybody is on the same page, number one, so that number two, there's no miscommunications. Number three, so that you can be a part of the decision-making. So many entrepreneurs basically leave all of the decision-making to the tech person. And then when that tech person leaves, they all of a sudden uh, understand that they use a piece of technology that nobody in the U.S., for example, uses. <laughs> I'm talking about specifically .NET, right? So they, they, somebody picked .NET as a programming language. And just so that you know, like nobody in the U.S., it's very hard to find .NET developers. And so all of a sudden, I asked them, like, why, why did you guys pick .NET? And the entrepreneur would be like, well, my developer did that, right? Mm -hmm. So you never want to be caught in those types of situations. You always want to be smart enough to ask the right questions mm -hmm. to elicit a response. So when you ask the right questions, you don't actually need to know the answer. The answer, the way that the question is answered, you know, if you're satisfied with that, oftentimes that's enough mm -hmm. to know whether you're headed in the right direction or not. It's the worst position to be in when you bury your head in the sand and then trust the other person completely. That's just, that's never going to work out for you. Hmm. Well, no, I think that, that's good advice. And I think that that's probably your best takeaway in the sense that, hey, you may not be a technical person, but you do need to at least get a familiarity, come up to speed, get a, a basic understanding so that you can, you know, make sure that things are being done right, that they make sense and that you're, you're not going to take advantage of and you're not over being over demanding and you're not trying to put a burden on them that's unfair and unrealistic. So well, as we wrap up, if people want to find out more about you, they want to find out or get your, or get some, they're a non-technical person, they want to get some advice, they want to find out more about your program, they want to do any or all of the above, what's the best way to connect up with you and reach out? Sure. Uh, well, everybody can go to techspeakforentrepreneurs.com. There are a lot of resources there. They can book a call with me from there. Um, if they want to, I also am scheduling a bunch of live webinars. And if anyone's interested in learning about what that process is, there's a free video course that they can sign up for there as well. Um, so there's a lot of resources as a next step um, that are also, uh, besides purchasing the course, they're absolutely free. All right. Well, I certainly encourage everybody to check it out and, and certainly give a, some weight and thought as to, and as, as I said, I think that too often you, to your point, people, non-technical people use it as an excuse for not implementing technology. And yet with that, you can, you can both make a lot of more, you know, a lot more income, have revenue sources, diversify your company, be more efficient, and or just free up some of your time. Sometimes the best thing is that you're so overburdened with things. And if you can free up some of your time, that's the best reward. But I, I think that there's certainly it's, it's worthwhile to explore how you can update your industry, especially if you're one that's not technical, to be able to bring it to the 21st century and to take advantage of a lot of what's out there. 
Well, thank you again, Nelly, for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have a journey that you want to tell either you're an expert and you have some expertise to share, or you're an entrepreneur or a founder or co-founder that wants to come on and uh, share your journey with us, feel free to go to inventivejourneyguest.com, apply to be on the show. If you're a listener, make sure to click subscribe to so that uh, you can get notifications as all the new great episodes come out. And lastly, if you ever need help with patents and trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law, and we're always here to help. Thank you again, Nelly. It's been a pleasure and uh, wish you the best on your journey to uh, go help all the non-technical people take over the world of technology. Thank you so much. 